Good morning again. Welcome to Prairie View Christian Church. Thanks for joining us. And again, happy Mother's Day. Well, we continue this morning in the book of Ezekiel, learning what unexpected lessons the prophet has to teach us about God. So, for example, in week one, we focused on God's role as just judge, a subject that is often neglected because it makes us uncomfortable. And then last week, we focused on God's holiness, more specifically, God's otherness. The main point was that the God we worship, with his storms and his cherubim and his chariot and the throne in Ezekiel chapter 1, is utterly different from and better than anything we can fully wrap our minds around. That's not just true in this book. It's true throughout scripture. And it makes Jesus, God in the flesh, that much more amazing to think about. But today we shift to another one of God's attributes. And talking about God's justice and even God's otherness or transcendence may have felt like uncharted territory for many of us. We might not typically tend to think of God in those terms on our own. But this morning we return to more familiar ground. Because the attribute that we're going to discuss is God's faithfulness. Now what exactly is so wild about God's faithfulness? In a world often characterized by unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness is anything but common. So open up to Ezekiel chapter 12, verse 21. Feel free to use our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't own one. But before we go further, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given to us. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that we can come here and worship you. And as we just mentioned in our communion meditation, We can approach you with confidence that we don't have to question or doubt or worry about whether or not we're welcome in your presence. The body and blood of Christ are enough. And Lord, thank you for that privilege that we have, not just on Sundays, not just when we're sitting in a church building, but every day, every moment, we can pray to you and know that you hear us. We can call you our Father and know that you welcome us into your presence. And that is a great, great gift. And I pray you'd be with us this morning as we read from your word, uh, including in a portion of your word that we might not come to on our own. I pray that you would teach us and challenge us and comfort us and convict us and use your word today to grow us into the disciples that you call us to be. Lord, again, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for all your attributes. We thank you that you are who you are. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you had to choose just one of God's attributes that is most consistently highlighted across the Bible, if you were challenged to sum God up in just one word, which of course is impossible, but if you were to try, 
then the word faithfulness would be a good choice. In Exodus 34, verse 6, God describes himself as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. In Deuteronomy 32, verse 4, Moses sings that the Lord is a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. And we read in Psalm 100, verse 5, that the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. I was glad to see this week that Mark, knowing what I'd be preaching on this morning, included the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, as our closing song for this service. Again, based on God's majesty, glory, and wonder that we read about last week, it's impossible to try to contain him in just one word. But if you were to try, you could do a lot worse than the word faithfulness. And while it might surprise you, God's faithfulness is regularly on display in the book of Ezekiel. Even with all its heavy metal material that we've talked about the past few weeks. The prophet gives us three different examples of God's faithfulness at work. First is God's faithfulness to his word. Second is God's faithfulness to his character. And third is God's faithfulness to his people. So let's take a quick look at each. Ezekiel 12 verse 21. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, what is this proverb that you have about the land of Israel, saying, The days grow long and every vision comes to nothing? That was apparently a slogan that was popular in the nation of Israel at the time. The days grow long and every vision comes to nothing. Verse 23. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will put an end to this proverb, and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. But say to them, the days are near, and the fulfillment of every vision. For there shall be no more any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. For I am the Lord, I will speak the word that I will speak, and it will be performed." It will no longer be delayed, but in your days, O rebellious house, I will speak the word and perform it, declares the Lord God. And the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, behold, they of the house of Israel say, the vision that he sees is for many days from now, and he prophesies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God. None of my words will be delayed any longer, but the word that I speak will be performed, declares the Lord God. Remember Ezekiel's context. He was sent to warn God's people about God's coming judgment for sin, namely the destruction of the temple, the ransacking of Jerusalem, and the people's forced exile to Babylon. But here's the thing. 
We said back in week one that Ezekiel likely began preaching that message around 595 B.C. History tells us that all the bad stuff Ezekiel spoke about wouldn't take place until around 586 B.C. Now, using my Bible college math, that's almost 10 years. And for many, 10 years is a long time. And based on the verses that we just read, after some of that time had passed, maybe it was three years, or five years, or seven years, who knows? After some time had passed, people began to take Ezekiel's warnings less and less seriously. Maybe some of them went to prophets who would simply give them a better message that had something nicer to say. Maybe some of them figured that even if Ezekiel is telling the truth, this stuff won't happen until we're long gone, so why worry about it now? Maybe others simply wrote Ezekiel off as a kook. But God is faithful to his word. He does what he says he will do. Even if we sometimes wonder what the holdup might be, or sometimes doubt that he'll come through at all. And in 586 BC, the Israelites found out the hard way that God is faithful to his word. Christians like us should remember that lesson that God is faithful to his word. We should especially remember that truth as we wait for Jesus to return, the way he promised he would both during his life and after he rose from the dead. But let's also be honest. If Ezekiel's audience started to doubt God's ability to fulfill his word after 10 years, what do we do with the fact that we've been waiting Almost 2,000. After all this time, you can't entirely blame someone for starting to look at their watch. But the New Testament tells us that God has good reason for taking his time. 2 Peter 3 says that God's slowness to fulfill his promise is actually an act of mercy. God is patient, giving more people more time to repent. That's why Jesus hasn't returned yet. But here's the thing. Like we saw in Ezekiel 12, God won't wait forever to fulfill his word. He keeps his promises. He does what he says he will do. His track record is impeccable. He will fulfill his word and return as king and judge once and for all. And we must be ready. So first, God is faithful to his word, but he's also faithful to his character. Flip over to Ezekiel 36, starting in verse 16. We read there. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, when the house of Israel lived in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. 
Their ways before me were like the uncleanness of a woman in her menstrual impurity. So I poured out my wrath upon them for the blood that they had shed in the land, for the idols with which they had defiled it. I scattered them among the nations, and they were dispersed through the countries. In accordance with their ways and their deeds, I judged them. But when they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name. And the people said of them, these are the people of the Lord. And yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Like we stressed last week, God is holy. But the Israelites, those called by his name, had harmed God's holy reputation through their actions. They had profaned, slandered, and dishonored God's name with their lives everywhere they went. As we saw in verse 20, the surrounding nations held a low opinion of God because of what they saw from his people. That is scary for us to think about. That someone might hold a low opinion of God based on what they see from his people. A good way to think about that is the legal term defamation. You can be sued for defamation if your words or your actions unfairly or inaccurately bring someone else's reputation into disrepute. And that's what the Israelites had done to God. They had defamed him. Nevertheless, God makes it clear in the following verses that he will not abandon his people forever. But it won't just be for their sake. Look at what he says in verse 22. It will be for the sake of his holy name. For the sake of his holy name. Now that may sound harsh, but God isn't just redeeming his people because he loves them. He does love them, more on that in a moment, but that's not the only reason he's saving them. He's redeeming his people out of faithfulness to his own character. God is inherently righteous. And he cannot abide the thought of the world thinking that he is less than that. So he will redeem his people to prove his character. Now imagine for a moment that you have an incredibly well-behaved and highly trained dog. Maybe you don't have to imagine that. I do. We never have to... Your dog can sit, your dog can stay and fetch and speak and play dead. They can do everything. But then imagine that you take your dog to someone's house and the dog promptly poops on their antique, one-of-a-kind Persian rug. You'd probably apologize profusely and you'd probably say something to the effect of, I just don't understand. He never does anything like this. That's just so out of character for him. We never have to worry about God getting out of character. We never have to worry about God flying off the handle, having a sudden mood swing, 
or just randomly deciding one day that he feels like being unjust, impure, or incompetent. God is who he is. Always. Perfectly. Completely. He is always holy. Always righteous. Always good. He is faithful to his character. So God is faithful to his word, faithful to his character, and he's faithful to his people. Part of how the Israelites got into this mess, inviting God's judgment upon them in the form of the nation of Babylon, was through their unfaithful leaders. These leaders were supposed to set the standard of justice and righteousness and godliness in the land. And they were supposed to encourage everybody else to follow their lead. But like bad shepherds who neglect their sheep, those leaders failed. And the entire nation suffered for it. That's part of why Israel was facing judgment. They deserved to be wiped off the map. But that wouldn't happen. Not only because God is faithful to his character, but because he's faithful to his people. Ezekiel 34, starting in verse 11. Verses 1 through 10 are this description of Israel's leaders as bad shepherds. And then in verse 11 we read, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the uninhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. I can't help but wonder if Jesus was thinking of Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, when he called himself the good shepherd. Now, the people would not be spared entirely. In fact, most would not live to see the day of their deliverance from Babylon. But God would not let his people suffer forever. He wouldn't totally abandon those called by his name. Like a good shepherd, one day he would return to them, redeem them, and care for them. You might even say, and Ezekiel does say it in chapter 37, that God would raise his people from the dead. Little did Ezekiel know that much later in the Bible, God's faithfulness would be on display most powerfully when he raised one specific person from the dead. Again, God is faithful to his people. 
to his flock, even as we are often unfaithful to him. He's faithful to his word, faithful to his character, and he's faithful to us. It's true in Ezekiel. It's true in the rest of scripture. It was true for Old Testament Israelites, New Testament Christians, and it's true for believers today. 1 John 1.9 captures elements of all three of those things. It's actually one of my favorite verses. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Think about it this way. If God didn't forgive us our sins, he wouldn't be faithful to his word about the sufficiency of Jesus' cross. If God didn't forgive us our sins, he wouldn't be faithful to his character as gracious and holy. And if God didn't forgive us of our sins, he wouldn't be faithful to his people who believe the gospel. But thankfully, God is faithful. And that's why we can say that when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. In a world marked by unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness is good news. In our day and age, it's hard to find people who are faithful to their word. Other people fail us and we inevitably fail them. We lie. We back out of commitments. We break promises. But God does not fail to keep his word. He's faithful to it. In our day and age, it's hard to find people who are faithful in character. Politicians on both sides of the aisle sacrifice their so-called convictions to get ahead or gain votes or stay in office. Spouses betray their public vows. Church leaders crash and burn. But unlike us, God is faithful to his character. We don't have to worry about him falling short of his own standards. And in our day and age, it's hard to find people who are faithful to people. We often use people for gain and dispense of them when they've served their purpose. We say we want deep relationships with others, but are often uninterested in doing the hard work required. We don't put down roots and commit ourselves to a place. But unlike us, God is faithful to his people. We don't have to fear the possibility of him getting up and leaving us. Of course, it's not always easy to trust that God is faithful. And that's especially true in times of hardship. We may sing about God's faithfulness. We may say we believe it. We may hear about it from well-meaning brothers and sisters in Christ. But at moments, we just don't seem to feel it ourselves. But may we remember Joseph. As he bounced from slavery to prosperity to prison and to prosperity again, God was with him the whole way, faithfully, even when he didn't see it. 
May we remember the encouragement of Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, which tells us that suffering isn't a sign of God abandoning us, but may actually be a sign of God faithfully disciplining us for our good, like a loving father. And may we remember how James 1, verse 17 describes God. James says, in him there is no variation or shadow due to change. He is who he is. We may not always feel God's faithfulness in some spectacular, heartwarming fashion in every single moment. But may we remember God's eternal faithfulness, no matter our temporary circumstances. And of course, may we strive to live in faithfulness ourselves. In Ezekiel 36, God makes this wonderful promise that one day he would give his spirit to his people. And his spirit would then help us live lives marked by faithfulness. And that promise is fulfilled in the New Testament. When we learn that all who believe in the person and work of Jesus, his life, his death, His resurrection are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And the Apostle Paul lists faithfulness as a fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. If you have the Spirit within you, these things ought to start happening. Faithfulness is one of them. Yes, even after we believe, we will fail. We will never be perfectly faithful this side of heaven. But may we, with the Spirit's help, strive to grow, little by little, to be faithful, as our Heavenly Father is faithful. I think we all know that our world is changing at a breakneck pace. And some of it is good, some of it isn't. Either way, life can be incredibly disorienting in this ever-changing world. It seems like the ground is always shifting, and it's hard to know where to put your feet. It's hard to know who to trust. But know that God is faithful to his word, faithful to his character, and faithful to his people. May we trust him, worship him, and obey him accordingly. May we remember that when everything else around us seems unstable, God is secure. And may we fix our eyes on Jesus, the perfect embodiment of God's faithfulness, the one who is the same yesterday and today and forever. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And thank you for who you are and for what you've done for us. Thank you for all of your attributes. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for your justice. Thank you for your holiness. And thank you for your faithfulness. Because in so many ways and at so many times, we are less than faithful. So, Lord, thank you that when we are sometimes faithless, as the Apostle Paul says, You are faithful. Thank you that 
you were patient, you were kind, you were gracious to sinners. That even when we deserve punishment, even when we deserve judgment, you are still faithful to us. You are long-suffering, as the Bible puts it in so many ways and at so many times. But Lord, at the same time, help us not take your faithfulness for granted. I pray that we would not spurn your faithfulness. I pray that we would not use it as a license to wander and stray. But rather, I pray that as we look at your faithfulness, as we consider how kind you are to us, how trustworthy you are, I pray that that would draw us closer to you and would be incentive for us to love and worship and obey you more fervently. Thank you that even when we fall short, we know that you don't. Even when we fall short, we know that Jesus didn't. And Lord, thank you that you are faithfully with us day in and day out, helping us be the people you call us to be until we're in your presence once and for all. Again, Lord, help us be faithful as you are faithful. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.